You're listening to Ideas Aloud, a podcast series by the Institute for Democracy and Economic Affairs, Ideas Malaysia. Joining us today is Ideas Senior Fellow on Trade and Integration, Dr. Jayan Manan, who is also a visiting senior fellow from ICS Yusuf Isha Institute, Singapore. He will share with us his views on ASEAN digital economy. Dr. Menon is an expert on international trade policy, international investment, regional economic integration and institutions, economic development in the Asian region. He has authored more than 15 books, 40 chapters in books, 80 articles in peer-reviewed journals. Thank you, Dr. Menon, for being with us today. Welcome to Ideas Aloud. Thank you, Nirbhaya. It's very nice to be with you today, and I look forward to our chat. Right. We begin with our first question. For the past few years, the region is abuzz with talks on digital economy. With the inception of ASEAN Digital Integration Framework 2019, followed by ASEAN Digital Master Plan 2025, how do you view these developments? Uh, I think you're right. I mean, uh, the whole region now is uh, more and more focused on a more digitalized future. And this has uh, been accelerated, if you like, uh, by the pandemic, uh, with uh, you know all of us having been forced to adopt new ways of communicating. The best example of that, of course, is what we're doing today. Uh, you're sitting in Malaysia, I'm in Singapore, and we're talking to each other as if we're across the table. Uh, so, yes, a lot of uh, interest is growing on our digital future, uh, made even more urgent uh, by the pandemic. And new technologies are coming online uh, very, very rapidly. Uh, so this is an exciting time, uh, great opportunities, but also great challenges. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, the uh, fourth industrial revolution works uh, to help us all, uh, you know, improve our livelihoods and leave no one behind. And that's the challenge uh, we need to face and overcome. But do you see the fourth re industrial revolution will aggravate the inequality within ASEAN? Or will it breach inequality? How do you see it? Uh, I think it'll uh, do a bit of both. Uh, I think in the short run in, um, in ASEAN, it will probably end up increasing inequality uh, overall. Um, but in the longer term, if we uh, do the right things in terms of policy, the 4IR or 4th Industrial Revolution can be a net positive. Uh, but this is dependent on us making the right choices, putting in the right policies, and making the right investments. But um, in the short run, um, which is uh, where we all live, uh, there will be rising inequality, uh, both within and between countries. Uh, there is concern that uh, the fourth industrial revolution uh, will widen uh, rather than close the digital divide. Uh, as you know, ASEAN is uh, anything uh, but diverse. We have you know, many ASEANs, uh, if you want to be realistic about it. 
Uh, there's a very poor ASEAN, which is underdeveloped, uh, a middle and a very rich ASEAN. Uh, so um, these differences will be exacerbated uh, by the digital revolution. Uh, the adoption rate of uh, new digital technologies has favored the more developed economies, right? These are the ones that are more prepared to begin with. Uh, and um, this will widen development gaps and increase the digital divide. But also within countries, uh, I think you'll find that inequality might rise in the short run. But as I said, if we do the right things, uh, make the right investments, institute the right uh, policies, uh, the fourth industrial revolution can be a net positive, uh, maybe not for all of us, but for most of us. Well, that is a jury. But which group do you think will be at risk of being left behind by the fourth industrial revolution? I think, uh, once again, as we find with a lot of these things, um, the groups that will be uh, worst affected or will be uh, left behind in the sense that they don't enjoy in the benefits will be the poor, uh, the vulnerable, uh, the marginalized. Um, uh, and they are present in both rich and poor countries. We have these groups in all countries, but the ones uh, that are in, in poor countries will be the worst affected. Um, the digital infrastructure is uh, not only limited in the poorer countries, but uh, access to what is available um, can also vary by income class uh, within society. So the poor um, in developing countries are less likely to have the means to access this limited infrastructure and therefore be further marginalized as a result. Uh, but I think more concerning um, is the uh, potential threat to their jobs and livelihoods uh, as automation and robotics take hold initially uh, affecting the low-skilled repetitive tasks uh, that the poor are generally engaged in uh, before it progresses on to more complex activities. Uh, the digital um, uh, technologies will not uh, be limited to these types of skills categories. They will eventually uh, move on to the more uh, sophisticated uh, activities. In fact, they've already started doing that in the industrialized or developed world. Uh, but in the developing world, it's the low-skilled uh, repetitive tasks uh, that will be at risk initially. So um, apart from the greater risk uh, of unemployment, uh, in these skill categories where uh, occupational mobility is also quite limited. They can't move so easily across to new occupations um, uh, as the more highly skilled uh, people can. Um, low wage growth uh, in these sectors uh, relative to higher skills uh, will also 
um, create uh, new types of uh, inequality. Those with uh, you know higher skills uh, can and will demand uh, premium uh, uh, in terms of wages, uh, and this will add to wage and income inequality. So I guess uh, to sum up, uh, uh, not only is inequality between countries likely to increase, uh, we can expect a rise in both income and wealth disparities within these countries in the short run. But how can ASEAN respond to this uh, short-term adjustment cost? Okay, so um, uh, ASEAN um, and ASEAN countries can do various things uh, to deal with these adjustment costs. Um, uh, well, the first thing I guess we need to uh, look at is how, in fact, um, these displaced uh, workers can be re redeployed uh, within the region. Uh, right, so um, uh, firstly, I guess what we need to try and do is to uh, increase uh, labor mobility within this highly diverse region. Uh, so uh, if you look at ASEAN, you can see, for instance, that ASEAN is aging, but not all of ASEAN is aging at the same rate. Um, the newest members of ASEAN, uh, Cambodia, Laos, and Myanmar, have relatively young populations compared to the rest. Um, the rest of ASEAN is actually uh, aging quite rapidly, including Malaysia, um, and uh, they will soon face quite significant shrinkage in their labor forces. Whereas the young populations, uh, Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, have bulging workforces, and they will um, uh, find it difficult to, to actually provide uh, useful employment for a growing labor force. So the uh, mutual benefits are obvious if we can get people from these uh, bulging uh, workforces uh, finding uh, uh, limited opportunities at home to move to countries where workforces are shrinking uh, and through aging. So if we can get more labor uh, and capital mobility within the region, uh, we can actually deal uh, or reduce some of these short-term uh, adjustment costs. Um, these policies, I think, are going to be critical uh, in the short to medium term but also difficult as we come out of this pandemic. Uh, the pandemic is actually reinforcing a lot of the anti-globalization sentiments that started before the pandemic, but has grown in force as a result of the pandemic. Uh, uh, anti-globalization sentiments have increased because of the unequal sharing of the benefits of globalization. Uh, and that's a, a reality. And governments have not done a good job in mitigating those unequal impacts. Uh, and that is a given. But uh, 
the pandemic has heightened uh, those concerns, increased their impacts, and now I think we will be faced with um, a new normal, which is less receptive to uh, easier movement uh, across borders of people and capital. Uh, so that is something we will have to contend with going forward. Um, so if we can't get people and capital uh, to move across regions, then another way to deal with these adjustment costs is to increase trade uh, going forward. Again, we need to overcome rising protectionism, uh, but if we can, then trade can serve as a partial substitute uh, for labor and capital movement. Uh, the wages paid to workers or the returns to capital can be equalized through trade, even without any movement in capital or labor across borders. So if we can uh, increase the tr increase trade that uses capital and labor, uh, then the prices of that capital and labor uh, can equalize. And so differences can narrow and a lot of the adjustment costs can be mitigated. So these are the sorts of things I think ASEAN must pursue and support. Uh, a lot of it will have to happen at the national level, but they will require regional, increased regional cooperation. And so there's an obvious role for a regional institution like ASEAN and the ASEAN economic community, right, that needs to step up to this new challenge. Uh, the ASEAN economic community uh, is currently trying to promote greater mobility of skilled categories of workers through mutual recognition arrangements, MRAs. But uh, the performance has been mixed uh, in some cases quite weak and limited, uh, but we need to also deal with uh, the uh, low-skilled workers, uh, which make up the majority of uh, cross-border labor movements in the region. And of course, the large number of uh, undocumented workers. Uh, uh, now, this is a big challenge, and I think if we don't if if we don't increase labor mobility in a new normal, or if we reduce it, then it will spill over into greater flows of undocumented workers. This has uh, happened in the past, and it will happen again. And if that happens, if if we if we restrain labor mobility, and as a result increase undocumented uh, movements of workers, this will not serve uh, the sending countries or the receiving countries, and of course, uh, not the workers themselves that will be uh, at uh, you know, risk of all sorts of abuse. Uh, so uh, the best way to deal with this is to overcome uh, those protectionist tendencies or anti-globalization forces that are gathering steam, uh, governments must show leadership 
in overcoming them, uh, ensure that uh, borders uh, are open and open soon, and uh, that uh, greater la uh, labor and capital mobility can help us deal with adjusting to a new normal. That's the challenge, and ASEAN has a very important role to play in meeting that challenge, but also individual national actions uh, of uh, countries as well. So you're actually suggesting uh, a long-term systematic changes that uh, ASEAN countries have to undertake to address these challenges? Uh, I think uh, uh, I'm suggesting both. So there are um, you know, uh, short and medium term responses that are required, uh, as well as longer term uh, systemic changes that you mentioned, where we actually, uh, you know, step back and look more closely at uh, our systems and institutions and whether they are prepared to deal with uh, a completely different type of economy uh, when the fourth industrial revolution uh, fully takes hold. Uh, so factor mobility that I talked about, more labor and capital movement across borders, uh, is mostly a policy choice for the short to medium term. Uh, but uh, th that's very important. As I said, we live in the short and medium term and we need to deal with these. But in the long term, in the long run, uh, we need to look beyond that and look at a fundamental transformation uh, in our systems of education, of learning, lifelong learning, and uh, looking at ways in which we can create a labor force uh, that is uh, flexible and responsive to, uh, you know, rapid change and rapid uh, uh, changes in requirements of uh, employers. Uh, you know, we see uh, these days, uh, you know, sadly, that the largest number of unemployed are usually found in recently uh, graduated uh, students, right? recent graduates, which suggests uh, that there's an obvious skills mismatch. Right, uh, these uh, graduates are now joining the labor force with skills that are not being demanded by employers. Uh, and so um, this will uh, be heightened as the fourth industrial revolution rolls along, right? Uh, so this is uh, a challenge posed to our education system and post tertiary uh, or technical and post-tertiary education, TVET as it's called, will need to play a bigger role in ensuring a more nimble, flexible workforce where we can no longer just focus on a set number of skills, but be able to adapt to changing needs. So that will be the future uh, of, uh, uh, of the kind of uh, workforce that is required for a innovative, society or economy, um, uh, which is defined by the fourth industrial revolution. Um, that's on the labor side, but also on the capital side, uh, we'll need, uh, you know, deeper uh, local financial markets, uh, you know, that are more uh, responsive to 
financing needs, uh, you know, startups, venture capital, uh, public-private partnerships, all of these things will become the new standards by which uh, we pay for uh, the future or finance our future uh, futures. And that's, uh, again, a huge challenge uh, facing uh, uh, the countries of this region. And, uh, uh, of course, finally, we need to be more uh, you know, innovative. We need to create new technologies, but also find ways of adopting and absorbing new technologies and limit uh, the restrictions on the free flow of technology. Uh, we've seen uh, this come up uh, more recently in the US-China trade war, uh, you know, which is really more about uh, technology than it is about trade and about intellectual property than it is about trade itself. Trade is the instrument, but the you know, underlying uh, issue has more to do with um, uh, technology and uh, intellectual property. And so that kind of uh, uh, restrictions on the uh, flow of technology will not serve uh, either country or uh, the bystanders, which is ASEAN. Right, so uh, these are the kinds of uh, long-term challenges we will need to overcome uh, to, uh, you know, uh, take full advantage of the opportunities of the fourth industrial revolution, and also ensure that the uh, potential inequalities that it will create are mitigated. Does ASEAN have any latecomer advantages? over developed economies when it comes to digital economy? Right. I think, uh, you know, we must remind ourselves that ASEAN is, again, very diverse. Uh, we have the full spectrum of least developed to highly developed countries. Uh, for the least developed countries, um, uh, which is uh, Cambodia and Laos um, and also Myanmar, um, you know, uh, they have arrived late. Uh, and there is, uh, they do have advantages, um, uh, and this is related to the so-called leapfrogging, um, which is uh, how latecomer advantage uh, hypothesis is usually uh, set forward. Uh, and this is where um, late adopters of technology uh, may be better positioned because um, they can avoid the mistakes of the past from other countries and adapt technologies um, in a way that benefits, benefits them more than the early adopters. So you can learn from the experiences of the early adopters, avoid their mistakes and improve on them in, a, in uh, adapting and applying them. Um, in certain instances, uh, they may even be able to leapfrog early movers uh, and further consolidate uh, their latecomer advantage. Um, the, uh, let, me, let me try and give you some examples uh, to try and uh, you know, uh, illustrate what I mean. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. So I think uh, you know, technologies um, of the Fourth Industrial Revolution uh, create the opportunity, right, for developing countries in ASEAN um, and the least developed of them to bypass uh, traditional aspects of industrial development, 
such as you know avoiding uh, costly investments in uh, fixed line te uh, uh, telephony, uh, you know investing in telephone lines uh, and focusing instead on uh, the mobile telephone infrastructure, uh, the towers and so on. Uh, you know, I think um, if you go to Cambodia uh, uh, today, you will see that you know they've almost completely given up on fixed line telephony and immediately moved towards uh, mobile telephones as their preferred form of communicating and uh, connecting. Uh, this is one example. Uh, but it can also uh, serve, uh, you know, a role of increasing inclusion again. Uh, we talked earlier uh, about uh, how the fourth industrial revolution can increase uh, all kinds of inequalities. It can also offset them to some extent uh, by being more inclusive. Uh, you know, again, using Cambodia as an example, uh, you know, we've seen um, the increase in the number of solar farms, especially in remote and isolated regions, where you know, uh, uh, as uh, you know, solar panels become more affordable, uh, and batteries uh, to store uh, energy become more efficient and uh, affordable. Uh, solar farms are springing up uh, uh, in remote regions that serve their local isolated communities that have been deprived of electricity. Um, and uh, this is a, a cleaner, cheaper, and more efficient way of providing electricity to poor communities than trying to connect uh, to the national grid, uh, for instance. So um, this is uh, you know, uh, one way, another way, if you like, uh, in which uh, the uh, fourth industrial revolution uh, can provide uh, uh, less developed economies a latecomer advantage, where they can avoid, uh, you know, investments that are now uh, going out of uh, fashion or going out of use, and instead uh, start in me by investing in future. Uh, forms of technology and infrastructure. And there are many other similar examples. Uh, so this latecomer advantage is not just a theory uh, or hypothesis. We can see it being played out uh, in many ways in the uh, poorest of countries. And, uh, you know, these are the countries that need uh, the advantage more than anyone else. So it's good to see that there's some equity as well, uh, feeding into uh, this whole technology sphere, which is usually, you know, heavily biased towards the rich countries or the more industrialized countries. This is, uh, you know, uh, to some extent, uh, leveling that playing field. And uh, we can be thankful for that. Thank you so much uh, for having me. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again. And I thank your listeners for tuning in uh, to this podcast. Thank you. That sounds promising. Dr. Menon, we have come to the end of an insightful discussion on ASEAN digital economy. Thank you very much. It is great having you on Ideas Aloud today.
Thank you for listening and stay tuned with us for more on Spotify, iTunes and wherever you get your podcast. To download our policy papers, visit our website on www.ideas.org.my.